the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Hebrews. A salvation matter. It's just talking about how how can you really enjoy all the the grace of God in your own life, which requires, doesn't it, to experience the grace of God requires the recognition that I'm a sinner and that Jesus loved me so much He died on a cross for my sins and that He's so merciful and so forgiving and so gracious to me. How can we really grasp and comprehend that and receive that? if we're not willing to extend that to others. Many of us can probably count the number of times we've been the victim of an egregious sin on one hand or more. However, how we reacted to that sin is what makes all the difference. Did we forgive that person or did we fall victim to holding it against them? In today's message, Pastor Gary reflects on how our willingness to forgive others is indicative of our understanding of God's grace. In his study, you'll learn how crucial it is that we forgive others as God has forgiven us, as we've all sinned. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews, chapter 12. The context of where we left off, which is read at verse 14, uh, follows, obviously, chapter 11 that had to do with the many men and women given to us as examples of people of faith that we might be encouraged in our lives to also be men and women of faith. That's why chapter 12 begins with the words, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And the writer of Hebrews starts to use this metaphor of the, the Christian life like a a race, like running a race. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. We're in for the long haul. And that as part of running this race, it's uh, possible to get discouraged along the way. And so take heart. Remember these wonderful examples from chapter 11 who have gone before us, that we might be encouraged to persevere, that we should fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and that we should finish this race well. You know, how many of you understand it doesn't really matter what kind of a start you got in your Christian walk. What matters is how well you finish. And so that's the journey that we're on. We're on this marathon together. I hope we want to finish well together. And the writer of Hebrews then begins to stress in in the rest of chapter 12 
that in the course of running this race, if you get off track, then God has a wonderful, loving way of disciplining us. And that can happen in different forms to get our attention so that we'll get back on track and run the race with perseverance. So we talked last week about the different reasons why God disciplines us. It demonstrates that he loves us. It means that we are his children because you don't discipline somebody else's kids. You only discipline your own. Uh, It produces a harvest of righteousness and holiness. And so there are good things that come out of God's discipline in our lives, even though, the writer of Hebrews says here, that no discipline seems pleasant at the time, only painful. But yet it's God's loving way of wanting to make sure that we stay on track, run this race, and finish well. So we left off at verse 14. I'm going to read verses 14 through 17. So chapter 12, verse 14 says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. So in these four verses alone, 14, 15, 16, and 17, the writer of Hebrews points out five things that we're going to break down together tonight. Number one, he talks about seek peace. Number two, he says pursue holiness. Number three, he says get rid of bitterness. Number four, he says avoid sexual sin. And number five, he says don't be Godless. Some of your translations use the word unholy or profane instead of godless. So we're going to talk about these five things, and maybe we'll only make our way through these five things, or we might make our way through the end of the chapter tonight, but we'll see. The first one is to seek peace. Uh, if you would, turn in your Bibles to the left a little bit to uh, the book of Romans. Uh, the book of Romans, uh, chapter 12, because there's a companion verse here to what we're reading about peace that we find also in Romans chapter 12. So while you're turning there, again, here in Hebrews 12, it says, make every effort to live in peace with all men. Make every effort to live at peace with all men. Well, when you compare that to Romans 12, here's what Romans 12 says, verses 18 to 21. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So that's Romans 12, 18 to 21. And it's a good companion passage to what we're reading here in Hebrews 12. In verse 14, which says, make every effort to live in peace with all men. So I want to kind of go back and forth and parallel these two. The, the, the passage in Romans chapter 12 tells us something important. Because in Hebrews 12, when it says that you, you need to make every effort to live at peace with all men, in Romans 12, it's, it adds, as far as it depends on you. We all understand, right, that you, you can't be responsible for somebody else's peace. You can only be responsible for your own. And so we are to be at peace with all people 
Romans 12 says, as far as it depends on us. So we have to make the effort towards peace, and we have to be at peace with the Lord, and we have to be at peace with other people, but we can't be responsible for their measure of peace in their lives. What is up to us is as far as it depends on us, and each of us, we have to live at peace with everyone. And the other thing there in Romans 12, verse 19 that he makes sure we understand as part of being at peace with people is to not seek revenge. He says there in Romans 12, 19, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. There are two things that God reserves for himself that he says he will not share with anyone in the Bible. Those two things are his glory and his vengeance. When we touch either of those things, we are touching things that God says exclusively belong to him. We are never to touch God's glory. We are never to share in it. We are never to use it or touch it. And God's vengeance. We are never to take into our own hands any kind of revenge or vengeance. God says that it is mine to avenge, says the Lord, and I will repay, is what Romans 12 says. 19 says. And then there in Romans 12, 20, Paul tells us on the contrary, rather than trying to take revenge, he says, we need to bless those who have wronged us. This is all part of how do you be at peace with people? How do you seek peace in terms of living at peace with other people? He says in Romans 12, 20, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. That's all about blessing people. It's going the extra mile to actually bless them. And he adds, in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, burning coals was a euphemism in the day for God's divine judgment. So what Paul is saying there in Romans 12 is is that instead of seeking revenge, if we just leave wrath up to God, instead of taking it into our own hands, that then we give room for God's divine judgment. However, God wants to administer that. But that's up to God. God's going to deal with people who are not at peace with us. God's going to deal with people who have wronged us. That's up to God to deal with. But if you really want to be at peace with people, one of the things there that we find in Romans 12 is that we can't seek vengeance. That's up to God to deal with. So we have to get out of the way and give enough room for God to work and to do it his way. And in this way, it will heap burning coals on their heads. In other words, if you get out of the way, God will bring the conviction. If you get out of the way, God will deal with that person. But as long as you and I are in the middle, in the way between what God wants to do and, and, and this person, then we, we actually are interfering with God's ultimate purposes. And we need to learn to back away, be at peace, don't seek revenge, just let God do what God needs to do. It's interesting, I came across this study uh, years ago uh, that was conducted by uh, the University of Zurich in Switzerland. And they, they actually used uh, PET scans to monitor the imagery of brain activity as it related to revenge. And so in this study, it was published in Science Magazine uh, back in 2004. So this is, this is somewhat of an old study, but, it, but this is what it found. Um, the findings done by scientists from the University of Zurich who studied brain activity using PET scans when people were getting revenge, this is how the study took place. They, they, u- they used a monitored game, and they had person A and person B. And 
if A, person A, did something that that person B perceived as unfair in in playing this game. It's just kind of this contrived game. It had to do with money and it had to do with, uh, you you know, winning winning like a board game kind of a thing. If person A perceived that person B uh, did something as unfair then the one player could get revenge by getting money from the other player. And it, then it measured brain activity as the, as the reaction to the player who actually got money from you because I was able to get from you something because you were unfair to me. Everybody follow so far? And so they were monitoring this with PET scans, and what they realized was that the person was actually able to get money in this monitored game as a way of getting even with you because you mistreated me during this game. They measured this, uh, the reaction, and it had an uptake in what's called the dorsal striatum. And the article had said that revenge activates the same reward circuitry of the brain. The brain started firing with joy in the revenge of getting even with somebody, and it and it it actually documented that the revenge activates reward circuitry in the brain that is fired up. And it was the same reaction that that one would have when sniffing cocaine or having sexual attraction for another person. In other words, that they actually monitored this brain activity in an individual that was the same as getting high on cocaine or having some kind of a high from sexual attraction. That's what happens in our bodies chemically when we start to get even with somebody. So this, it's, it's like a high. People enjoy this kind of thing. And you may not think... You know, when you're thinking about, I want to get even with somebody, you might think, well, the motivation is anger. You know, I'm not really enjoying this. But there's this brain chemical activity that begins to happen in a person when you're getting even with somebody that is actually measurable. So we have to make sure that part of living at peace with people is recognizing that God is the only one. He reserves the right to execute his wrath. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. We are not to take matters into our own hands. We are to instead, as the saying goes, kill him with kindness. Now, isn't it hard, would you admit with me, that even when you're a Christian, you know this, and you're like, okay, all right, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to love, I'm going to be kind, I'm just going to pray for him, you know, and I'm not going to, you know, do anything. And, and, but even in your prayer, you're like, okay, Lord, you know, burning coals, lots of burning coals, lots, lots of burning coals, burning coals, burning coals. But I love them, but burning coals, and I love them. And that you even find your own heart is just kind of wrestling with, okay, Lord, they're yours, they're yours, you know, but, but boy, I, I hope they meet the front end of a bus. You know, do you ever kind of <laughs> begin to think that way? Maybe it's just me. But, uh, but anyway, listen, Luke 6.28, write the verse down in the margin of your Bible. Luke 6, 28, bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. This is what Jesus said. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. We must be people who seek peace as far as it depends on us in our relationships with others. So back here in Hebrews chapter 12, so make every effort to live in peace with all men. That's, that's the first thing that he says here in this short little series of exhortations. The second one, he says, is that we should pursue holiness. That's the rest of verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Circle that in your Bibles. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, there needs to be an understanding of holiness, and many of you understand this, but for those of you who don't, there's a difference between positional holiness and practical holiness. 
Positional holiness is what happens to us when we come into a personal relationship with Jesus. What happens is when you get saved, when you have a personal encounter with Jesus, you make him Lord of your life, you surrender your life to his lordship, there's a positional holiness that, be, that happens instantaneous in your life, which means that God now sees you no longer in the sinful condition, but in the righteousness of his son. And that you are positionally made holy, made righteous before God, not of your own works, not of your own worth, but because of the work and worth of Jesus. And by putting your faith and trust in him, you and I are made positionally righteous with God. We're made holy in his sight. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.30 that it is because of him, that is the Lord, that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us past tense related to the point of our salvation, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. So there is positional holiness. That happens when you and I come into faith with Jesus Christ. And then there is practical holiness. And the writer of Hebrews here is talking about the practical aspect of holiness, which means even though we've been made positionally right with God by virtue of what Christ has done for us on the cross, now God requires us expects us to live up to that holy position by holy practice. That we have to be people who walk in holiness, who live out our lives in a way that honors God and and that shuns sin and that as soon as we do sin, we're quick to confess it, to repent, to renounce it, to be right with God. And so the Bible says as well to be practically holy as well as enjoy positional holiness, 1 Peter 1, 14 and 16 says this, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance before you, before you were saved. But just as he who called you is holy, the Lord, so be holy in all that you do. See, the action there is what we do. It's the practical holiness. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. That's 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16. And so God calls us again to practical holiness, not just positional holiness. We need to be careful to honor God in the way we live. Behavior does matter to God. When, when we are born again and we belong to his family, he wants us to live in a righteous way, in a holy way before him. We honor God in this way. And so we're called to this kind of practical holiness. And then here in, in Hebrews 12, verse 13, uh, sorry, 15, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So it's the third thing on our list. We are exhorted here to get rid of bitterness. To get rid of bitterness. And bitterness is somewhat described here like a tree. Because he refers to roots. He says here, uh, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So it's this imagery of like a tree. And there's, a, there's a, a very legitimate parallel going on here because just like the roots of the tree are underground, that's often where bitterness lies. Just kind of underground. It's just under the surface of our lives. And so he's actually building on the previous part here. We talked about, you know, be at peace with all people. Don't, get, don't, don't seek revenge you know, leave that up to God. This is, this is actually part two of that. Because 
when we allow offenses to fester and to grow, it becomes this tree of bitterness, the roots of which often go unnoticed. It's just there under the surface of our lives. That's the way bitterness usually works. It's under the surface. But he says here that it's possible to miss the grace of God, and as a result of harboring bitterness in our lives, it causes trouble, and it defiles many. He says all that in that 15th verse. That's why he says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God because of a bitter root, which will cause trouble and defile many. So there's three adverse reactions and problems to allowing bitterness to exist in our lives. How is it that we could possibly miss the grace of God because of bitterness in our lives? Because you will never be able to really enjoy or experience what you're not willing to extend. If you don't show forgiveness, then how can you really experience the forgiveness which is the grace of God in your own life? I mean, how can we go around saying, yeah, 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 I know God's forgiveness, I know God's forgiveness, but, but we don't know it enough to extend it. So he says, we can miss the fullness of the grace of God. We, we can, and it's not a salvation matter, it's just talking about how, how can you really enjoy all the, the grace of God in your own life, which requires, doesn't it, to experience the grace of God requires the recognition that I'm a sinner and that Jesus loved me so much, he died on a cross for my sins, and that he's so merciful and so forgiving and so gracious to me. How can we really grasp and comprehend that and receive that if we're not willing to extend that to others? And so it's possible to miss the grace of God. It's also something that we need to recognize. Bitterness causes trouble. I mean, bitterness causes trouble. When you are bitter, everything you touch... I mean, it's just trouble. It's, it's not good to be bitter. And it defiles many. That's the third thing. Who wants to be around bitter people? There, bitterness can begin to just spread among your circle of friends. If you're bitter, think about it. It's, it's, like, it's like drinking from a bitter well. You know, it, everybody starts to get bitter around you because of your bitterness until eventually they realize, I don't like being like this, and so they don't hang around you anymore. And I can't tell you how many people over the course of 30 years of ministry who have come to me who have been bitter about something in life, and they can't understand why they have no friends. You ever met people like that? They're just bitter as bitter can be, and they're like, on top of it, you know what makes me even more bitter is that I have no friends. And I'm like, ah, there might be a reason. No, you know, look, bitterness is, um, it's a poison. It's like, it's like being bitten by a venomous snake. You know, you know how they, you know how they get anti-venom as a remedy, as a medicinal remedy to people who've been bitten by a poisonous snake? They extract venom from a poisonous snake, and then they take small measures of that venom, and they inject it in lab animals. And then the lab animals, because it's injected in small measures, the lab animals begin to develop antibodies in their blood system. And then they will extract the antibodies from the blood of these lab animals, purify it, and use the antibodies then to inject into human beings who get bitten by poisonous snakes as the anti-venom. That's the antidote. You want to know what the antidote of bitterness is? 
forgiveness. That's the antidote. The book of Hebrews encourages its readers to stop relying on what they can do to be saved, known as living by the law. There's a better way, and it's through Jesus. Jesus came to earth and perfectly lived out his life, never wavering from the law and always showing love and kindness. He was perfect and was also the perfect sacrifice for sin. He obediently died in your place so that you wouldn't need to face the punishment your sins deserve. And all you need to do is accept it. Are you ready to take this step of faith? Jesus is ready and waiting for you to step away from your old life with loving arms wide open. If you're making a decision for your Savior today, please let us know. You can send an email to prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd like to encourage you to find a Bible-teaching church in your area right away. It will be a place where you can grow and learn and find the support of community, of family. You're now part of a family of faith, after all. If you happen to be in the Leesburg area, consider yourself invited to Cornerstone Chapel. We meet weekly for worship and fellowship after studying the Bible together. You'll be able to get more information at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes Mercy is waiting for you With every sunrise Hope is an open ocean Jump in and you'll find The cornerstones Your connection run towards your new Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.